Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. I'm Andrew Hayward. I'm Kate Irwin. And I'm Stephen Graves. And this is GM from Decrypt. Okay, GM, GM. Probably the craziest week of news we've ever seen, and that is saying a lot, uh, especially as someone who I remember Silk Road, I remember Mount Gox, and then, of course, the Terra meltdown in May. But today, we're going to lay it all out for you. What the hell happened, step-by-step, what it means, and our own takes. So GM, Stacy, and Kate. GM. GM. Lots to talk about. Boy, oh boy. What happened with the complete collapse of FTX and SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire? So let's just start this way, because guys, I think that uh, normies, as we sometimes call them, although... Stacy, I remember at a recent conference, people were telling us maybe we should move away from that industry term. Yeah, it's kind of become a pejorative in our yeah. industry. Yeah, maybe newbies or, as I love to say, the crypto curious. Yeah, they have the a lot of questions. Yes, the non-indoctrinated. Yeah, that's good too. Uh, they have a lot of questions. I'm sure that uh, you two have also been getting texts from friends over the past week. I sure have. And, you know, it's probably not what friends want to hear, but mostly I've been like, could you just visit our website? Because we're kind of busy right now. But let's just start with like the play-by-play of what the hell happened. And I'll give you what I think are the, the quickest, you know, briefest events that explain it. But then maybe you guys can fill in any gaps you think I've left. I mean, obviously, even before a week ago when the liquidation of FTT happened, you could bring in the fact that a story had come out the week before about Alameda. But I would start things with... Changpeng Zhao, CZ, who has been on this podcast before, the CEO of Binance, which is the largest crypto exchange in the world by volume, but is based outside the US, tweeting basically a week ago, Saturday or Sunday a week ago, so over a week ago, that based on recent revelations that have come to light, Binance would be liquidating all of its FTT stash. Now, FTT is the token of FTX, a rival exchange Also, one of the biggest exchanges in the world, I think number four or five. Mm -hmm. And by the way, a company that had only existed for three or four years. It was founded in 2019. So Binance has been around a lot longer. Obviously, there's past context here we'll get into more deeply of the rivalry. But the reason Binance had a big stash of FTT token is because Binance was an early investor in FTX. A year ago, FTX cashed out Binance's equity stake, and it paid it in FTT tokens. So the CEO of Binance says, we're going to dump all of our FTT. The price of FTT plummets. It also causes a huge loss in confidence. And Sunday, $5 billion of customer withdrawals from FTX, the exchange. Turns out, to the shock of many, FTX did not have the liquidity to cover. It is fair to equate it with a run on the bank of sorts. And by Monday, in a stunner, Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, a lot of acronyms here for the crypto curious, the non-indoctrinated, tweets out, 
we are being acquired by Binance. We're selling to our rival. Whoa. And as if that wasn't crazy enough, 24 hours later, Binance says, actually, no. And the words of CZ, the quote was, beyond our help, we will not acquire FTX after all. In other words, we can't rescue this company. Pretty big indictment. It's beyond our saving. Utter collapse. And by Friday, FTX announces Chapter 11 bankruptcy. I skipped one thing, which is that in the days in between, Sam Bankman-Fried at first tried to scramble and say, I'm going to spend the next week raising investment and raising capital so that we can make customers whole. Didn't exactly work out. By Friday, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. That's where we are. Uh, Anything I missed, guys, in terms of what you think were inciting events uh, along the way? I mean, there's just so much. (laughs) I guess... uh... Maybe we can hit on just kind of like the characterization of these two companies. Um, Mm. I just want to underscore how much FTX was thought of as the upstanding above board trying to do things the right way exchange. And that's largely because they really pushed themselves, you know, to be kind of seen that way. Like everyone, I remember when I wrote a profile on Sam last year, the main thing I heard from the other executive at FTX who I talked to was that, you know, he's really made it a goal of his to get comfortable, like operating in D.C. and talking to people and writing all these big letters and sharing his ideas and trying to figure out what policy is going to look like. So that that was a big, like, focus point for him is trying to get out there and make it seem as though he's really trying to do things on the up and up. And I'm not sure that he wasn't really trying to do things on the up and up. It's just that it all blew up. Yeah. I mean, also Sam Bagman Fried is someone who, you know, he went to MIT, he's from Stanford, his parents are successful. So I think his past um, gave people some trust in him as well. And, and things you know, when, when things went awry, I think a lot of people were shocked because of who his parents are and, and how he'd been educated and brought up. And, and to just see this completely sort of crumble is, is definitely shocking because of his background as well. Yeah, 100%. And I think this is a good segue. I mean, there's a couple different sub-narratives here that I want to get into and, you know, with the tentacles of this meltdown. But let's start with the background and why it was so shocking to people. I mean, Sam had been built up. Maybe it wasn't all his own fault, the the reputation. Certainly the way he had run his company was, uh, because as it has emerged, you know, the high-level mistake at the core of the business, or maybe you think it lets him off to say mistake, but uh, Sam's other company, Alameda, a hedge fund, was basically using FTX as a piggy bank. Um, FTX was using its own FTT token as collateral, uh, giving out loans in FTT, and basically Alameda was uh, using customer deposits from FTX, I mean, uh, amid a b- bunch of other things. But separate from the actual you know, irresponsible way that that business was run, and that was obviously terrible and maybe fraudulent, maybe criminal, there's the reputation element, right? Mm-hmm. What you guys are starting to get into is Sam was built up as this crypto golden boy, I mean, look, we don't have to um, shy around it. You know, we named him the founder of the year last year. Mm-hmm. Other publications did much worse. Uh, he was on the cover of Fortune, and the cover line was, the next Warren Buffett. Turns out, no, he was not the next Warren Buffett, but yeah. there's also a charitable element. You know, he was pushing this um, effective, effective altruism. altruism. Yeah. Yes. 
So what kind of happened there? Like, why was he built up? And, and do you guys think that the crypto community bears any responsibility here for just the extent to which he became this god of crypto in like three years? I want to acknowledge yeah. that, you know, we're all based in the U.S. And I think, you know, it, unavoidably, we're all going to kind of look at this through that lens. He just looks so much like all the other tech CEOs that we've seen you know, somebody's really young, kind of, I'm not even sure he graduated from college. I could be wrong about that. But like, he just fits that archetype so closely. And I think it was just so easy for us to kind of glom onto that, like, ah, here's the next Mark Zuckerberg, here's the next whoever, who's gonna, you know, come up with this brilliant piece of technology, and that's just gonna usher us all into the future. And I think it was just way too easy for us to kind of like stick him in that role. And um, some of it was, you know, the media is just trying to explain this thing that nobody understands. And so you cast him in this kind of like, you know, as this figurehead where everyone's like, oh, he's kind of like this, but for crypto, he's kind of like the Facebook CEO, but for crypto. So like, it's this thing that we have to do in media where like you're trying to explain a brand new industry that people can't really get their heads around. And so you make all these analogies and comparisons. And I think what we wound up doing is just building him up into something he's not like just in the public mind. I also think there's a lot of opacity surrounding FTX and like what exactly it was doing, because first, first off, I, I think crypto is, is very complicated and can be confusing to a lot of people. And so people are sort of the average consumer is like taking your word for it when you say, oh, we're doing this trading or that trading. And, and DeFi can be pretty complicated um, for the average person to try to understand. And so when you see someone doing this and saying that they're being successful, I think a lot of people are taking SBF at his word for whatever was going on behind the scenes. And we're also seeing there there is less, there was and is less accountability there because it is a private company. Um, when you see like Coinbase, there's just more things that they have to publicly share. Um, whereas FTX is able to just not necessarily, um, share, like they don't have to share, you know, exactly what they're doing at all times. Um, I think something interesting maybe worth talking about is, is what exactly was Alameda research doing? You know, what were they researching? Were they just trading and throwing around money or were they actually researching anything? And is that was that name sort of a misnomer and it was sort of just this like private trading arm where where they would try to take a, a lot of high risk trades i mean caroline who who runs alameda she um has has gone on the record on video interviews saying that she wasn't really sure what they were doing and they were just taking a lot of risks and just sort of throwing things against the wall to see what stuck and and so I think that that begs um, some que some questioning and, and is really worth thinking about, especially in hindsight now that, you know, we see that interconnectivity between FTX and Alameda and how it ultimately was a, was a big factor in FTX's collapse. There's a, a video in which she says with a smirk, like, why would you use a DEX? Like, mm -hmm. just, you know, do all your crypto trading through FTX, which is obviously so safe and so great. It's like, you know, something that I, I've been explaining to people who are not in crypto and don't live and breathe this stuff is that this meltdown, epic and cinematic and bad though it is, and every time something like this happens, it reflects poorly on the whole industry, but do not equate this with, oh, all of crypto is dead and screwed now. It's the end of the crypto industry. And in fact, DeFi advocates, decentralized finance, all along have been saying, well, this is why you don't trust centralized exchanges. 
you know, you shouldn't have your money on a centralized exchange because you're entrusting the humans who run it to not be doing shady things behind the scenes with your funds. And if you use DeFi protocols, everything is on chain. Everything is right there. You can see where your coins are and what your money is doing. So they get to kind of take a victory lap. And that's why a video of Caroline Ellison, I believe her last name is from Alameda, is especially, you know, that's like catnip for them because she's saying, Mm -hmm. why would you use a DEX? And it's like, well, this is why. This is why. And it's also worth remembering that that is the entire original value prop of crypto was remove the middleman, remove centralized parties and powers. And, um, you know, there was a tweet that I thought actually summed up a lot of this pretty well, which is the idea that all of these, not all, I mean, not Terra, although there's similarities to Terra. Terra was an algorithmic stablecoin, kind of different. But all of these centralized companies that have gone under, you know, there was Celsius, there was Voyager, uh, and now FTX, Here's the tweet from uh, Makesy. None of them used the tech for anything other than custody and collateral for further hypothecation in TradFi casinos. Blockchains fix this. And, you know, it's true. There wasn't anything very innovative or impressive technologically about FTX. All these companies, they're basically just banks for crypto. So you were trusting these companies. I had a friend who's, a, you know, not in crypto who texted me over the weekend and said, oh, man, I had money in FTX. Am I going to be able to get it out? And my first text back was, well, why? Why did you have money in FTX? You're not like a professional trader, you know? And uh, if you want to entrust a centralized exchange, I think most people would probably go to Coinbase, which another narrative here is Coinbase gets to use this for more marketing, and they already are, Mm -hmm. to say, we don't do anything with customer funds. We don't use customer funds as collateral, lend it out. Uh, you know, your funds are safe with us. Now, of course, even Coinbase, all these companies, there are certain people who are so traditional, they, they want to see just FTIC insured. Is it FTIC insured? And crypto companies have to say, well, no, we're not. But Coinbase gets to say, we're the closest thing to above board, you know, suited up, KYC, AML. So you're just, you're right that there's a ton of video clips and tweets that in hindsight are so easy to go back to and make fun of and roast where they said things that just clearly now have been refuted by their own downfall. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty ironic to go back to that Super Bowl ad that FTX uh, released with Larry David, where Larry David basically says, like, oh, I think this is weird. And then they're like, don't be like Larry. And, and so Larry David kind of gets to take the money and run here and, and ultimately sort of be able to say, well, I said don't trust FTX. It's like, well, okay, but, you know, so... It's really interesting to see just like the pop culture implications of this um, crash. Everyone has been talking about it. Elon Musk has been talking about it. You know, influencers on Twitch and everybody in the esports space is talking about it because of the TSM sponsorship. Um, so TSM uh, had a huge partnership with FTX and the since FTX, team. Yeah, yes, so, the esports yeah. team. Yeah, so so these gamers who had these TSM FTX jerseys, they have already put like black tape over the FTX part of their jerseys um, because of this whole fiasco. And, and it's really interesting to see all of these like YouTubers and Twitch influencers and gamers try to make sense of what happened as well. It's, it's really gone mainstream like the Terra Luna crash did. That's, I think, 
sort of the barometer for like how big of a deal is this because crypto scams hacks you know all these crashes they do happen unfortunately kind of often you know i i'll write about like an nft drainer that happened but but the stuff that reaches mainstream i think that's when we know that that it's it's real and it's big and unfortunately it's it's giving the crypto space as a whole uh, a bad rap because the mainstream doesn't really hear about the good things that are happening or the productive leaps, you know, like, mm. like they're not getting excited about, they weren't excited about the merge, for example, they were just like, Oh, okay. It happened. Cool. But, but they want to, you know, latch onto like the crashes and the bankruptcies and which I understand the, the I understand. failed sponsorships and things like that. Like just for a, a measure of how quickly people wanted to put distance between them and FTX, like uh, my husband watches F1 and so by extension, I do too. Um, FTX was a sponsor of Mercedes, the the racing team. And so they filed for bankruptcy on Friday, or at least we heard about it Friday. I think some of the paperwork shows that it might have been signed Thursday night. But already on Saturday, because the way they did the race this weekend, like there was a sprint race to kind of determine the, the lineup for the race on Sunday. Already the FTX logo was gone from the cars, the jumpsuits, everything. I didn't see the FTX logo anywhere on anything. And that's like turnover of like a day. And like that logo used to be plastered all over everything. I did still see the crypto.com logo because I think, you know, F1 um, proper has still sponsorship deal with them. But, you know, the FTX logo was completely gone. It's just crazy how quickly they worked to kind of just be like, nope, get that out of here. They got to get away from the stench. Um, One thing you do bring up or allude to that I'm interested in is it's not just the deals with FTX. Of course, those will go away. Um, Kate, I'm glad you started with TSM from your world, the gaming world. You know, for me, I'm, I'm looking at the Miami Heat Arena. They're already removing that. They're saying we're looking for a new sponsor. There's also the umpires um, FTX. Too, yes, yeah, and FTX was in deep with Major League Baseball. You know, a patch on every umpire uniform. All that is obviously going to go away. But beyond that, what about the other crypto companies? And they would say, well, we're fine. We're different. If you're a pro sports league after this, you probably feel like, wait a minute, we want nothing to do with crypto. So maybe you do start to see, you know, sponsorship deals with other crypto exchanges, maybe even Coinbase or Crypto.com go away, not because those companies are also failing. I'm not saying that, although maybe there's probably more to come, but because the uh, sports leagues and partners or even individual pro athletes who are all extremely image conscious, they say, you know what? This isn't worth the risk after all. I was already a little nervous and anxious when we made the deal, but I got convinced. And now that this happened, you know, better to just cut ties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what I'm wondering, and Stacey, I don't know if if you have more insight on this, is, is just how, like, they signed long contracts. I mean, some of these were like 19-year deals, you know, multi-multi-year deals, like, what happens to the rest of those years? Is it just like, oh, you broke a contract, like pay a penalty, sort of like getting out of a, a, a lease early for an apartment? Or or how does how does this contract Who would work pay the penalty? Now? Where's the money, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, yeah. Mean, I mean, what's really happening with those contracts that are obviously not being fulfilled anymore? I mean, I think it probably depends on who initiated severing the the relationship Mm -hmm. between the two companies so it like if it was for example let's just take the f1 one if it's mercedes that said you know what never mind so they may have to eat some kind of fee or something some kind of penalty for being the ones to to break it but there there was almost certainly some kind of clause in there saying that 
you know, this assumes that you are an upstanding business and that you're not going to do any kind of harm to our reputation and that nothing going on with you is going to kind of bleed over and then make us look bad. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of clause in there that allowed them to get out with like minimal cost, minimal penalty. Well, and, and Kate, you actually wrote the story on this uh, way back in February, but we've seen this before on a much smaller scale. I mean, and this wasn't the only example, but uh, there was a cycling team, Kubeka, uh, that was uh, sponsored by NextHash, a crypto company that I remember we hadn't even heard of when they announced the deal. It was a five-year deal signed in June 2021, and only four or five months later, company went under, couldn't afford the deal, backed out of the sponsorship. And in the cycling world, that is brutal because, as I understand it, all the funding just comes from the title sponsor. Like whatever team mm-hmm. you're on, that's your one sponsor. And so, you know, sucks for the pro cyclists, terrible for that team. I remember years, years, years ago, back in like 2014, reporting uh, on a college football bowl game that was called the Bitcoin Bowl. And the sponsor at that time was uh, another crypto company. I think maybe it was BitPay which of course now is still around. But at the time, the, the, one of the first crashes had just happened. I mean, I've seen all these waves. I know you have too, Stacey. And it's like, after one year of the Bitcoin bull, they had to end the sponsorship. It was like, sorry, we can't afford this. It was supposed to be three years of the Bitcoin bull. So sports leagues and sports events should already, if they were doing their homework, which I guess they weren't, you know, it just looked during the pandemic like everything was going to be up only, great forever. They should always know that, you know, if you're going to sign a sponsorship deal with a company that is very new, there's the risk that they can't be around that long. 19-year deal was insane. And, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. Everyone could have asked it. But I asked Sam a year ago in an interview, how can you guys sign a 19-year commitment when your company is three years old? And he did like a mic drop comment where he said, you know, frankly, we've had such a good year that we could pay for this whole 19-year contract up front. So arrogant. Yeah. But that very much kind of like encapsulates the whole idea that like things are good now, so they'll always be good. Why would they ever not be this good? Right? But like for 19 years, (laughs) that's insane. Yeah. I also think when, when the average person hears like, oh, we have billions to spare, you think, oh, wow, this company must be doing really well. But then you realize that they also have billions in like leveraged, you know, loans and debts and all these other kinds of things. And so you realize that it's not, they don't actually necessarily have just like billions sitting around because that money could quickly disappear Mm -hmm. in order to balance out something on their book. And they're just playing a game at a very large scale. And that's what, what definitely shocked me because I, I you know, was, was following the news when um, Sam Bankman-Fried was saying, oh, yeah, we can just like throw $700 million at, uh, at Voyager and these, these struggling companies. And it's like, wow, you have that much money that you can just throw at them? You know? and, and when he was on the GM podcast previously, he had said that you know, that 60 or $70 million, he wasn't really expecting to see it back necessarily. And, and I think that just showed to me at the time, I was like, wow, okay, I guess they have a lot of money to just throw around, but obviously that that's not necessarily the case. And, and I think when we're just seeing these massive, massive amounts of money sort of being discussed very casually, it suggests, oh yeah, I'm, you know, in a great place when that, Probably and maybe isn't actually uh, the case here. Yeah, I think one of the things that's come up a lot, and this has come up as other companies 
namely exchanges, have basically tried to kind of rush to prove that they're not in the same kind of situation as FTX, is that they're starting to be really transparent about what assets they have sitting around. But one of the very credible criticisms of that is that if you just tell people how many assets you have without telling them what your liabilities are, which is to say, like, what kind of money you owe to people, what kind of money, you know, when a customer comes to get their money back, you have to give to them. And then it's no longer an asset that's sitting on your books to just tell them the first part without the second part, what you actually owe people means nothing. And I think that just kind of became the norm in crypto is that people talked about what kind of assets they had sitting around. They didn't disclose what their liabilities were. And in large part, that's what happened here with FTX. So now we've seen, I think it's crypto.com. I think Binance has also just shared a bunch of wallet addresses to try to show here's where all our money is. Um, but, you know, there's also this big push to say, you know, okay, tell us what you owe people as well. Because otherwise, like, this might not really be your money. Sure, it's sitting in this wallet that you have control of, but who who do you owe this to? Who who has a right to claim this, you know, if they want to come back and withdraw their funds? Mm. Yeah, 100%. So so in many ways, I know like saying that there's any good to come out of this just makes it look like we're some kind of shills, but there will be some good, which is even the idea of first they all said, "Oh, we'll do our proof of reserves." Mm-hmm. But that's a good point, Stacey, that even the idea of proof of reserves is going to have to get beefed up and change to inspire extra confidence. Um, We've talked a lot about kind of what Sam's reputation was and how the industry built him up. The media had a part in that. Uh, You know, there's a Bloomberg headline from just April, pretty recent. It says, this 30-year-old crypto billionaire wants to give his fortune away. And it's like, "Mm, narrator, he succeeded. Um, All that stuff is kind of easy to look back on. But um, let's talk a little bit more about the CZ side of things. Let's get into the rivalry, because that is one of the most fascinating parts of this. Of course, it's already come out. Michael Lewis is writing a book. He was embedded with SBF. I saw the press release, though, from the publisher, and it said, of course, the events of the past week have provided uh, quite a twist ending. And I thought, well, what was it going to be before the events of the past week? I mean, did he pick up on anything? Imagine if the book had already come out, and, and then this meltdown happened, and the book was about how incredible SBF is. But... You know, regardless, there's clearly going to be a book or books. There's clearly going to be a movie or a series or movies or shows about this stuff because beyond just the financial, you know, chicanery, there was an incredible rivalry story. And no one has had a better week than Changpeng Zhao. Um, I'll go first just so that crypto curious people understand. We talked about how Sam's image was above board, did things the right way, giving to charity, boy genius. CZ's image was rebel, not complying with regulators, evading things. Uh, A year ago, one of the biggest stories in crypto was multiple global regulators and jurisdictions were uh, petitioning Binance saying, where is your headquarters located? And give us more information. And what CZ would say is, well, we don't have a headquarters. We're a truly decentralized company. We're not based anywhere. And it was like, come on, you're a business, you're a company. Every company is based somewhere. Mm -hmm. So... Truly, these two crypto figures were taking completely opposite approaches. Sam was in D.C., cozying up to politicians. And that's why it's just incredibly ironic that in the end, it's CZ who, um, for now, won, right? Yeah, I mean, like we when we talked to CZ a couple of months ago, I, I've, I've been trying to ask him and get <laughs> clarification on where they're based for as long as I've been covering crypto. So for the longest time, it was what you said, which is that we don't have a headquarters. And so, you know, we're not part of anyone's jurisdiction. And so that that kind of like ran its course. And now it's okay, well, we're looking, we're still working on something, we're going to announce something soon. 
they've been saying they're going to announce something soon for over a year now. So we still don't have a headquarters. But one of the things that I did come out of, you know, that letter of intent where Binance said they were going to acquire FTX and then, you know, turned around the next day and said, never mind, we're not, is that they, you know, some details have kind of made it out that like, yes, Binance is a much bigger company, but like FTX barely had any kind of compliance team, or at least that's what, you know, people familiar with what Binance was doing have said. And so, I don't know, it's it's very interesting. I, I think there's definitely an inclination from American media to just want to root for the American guy, like the guy who was born here. And, and I don't know. Like That's CV really interesting. Has, I, I just think no, that's part of it. I think that's part, part of, of it. it. Yes. Absolutely. They, they othered CZ. Yeah. Like he's, he's the guy from overseas. You never know where he is or where his thing is based. And clearly he's not. And I don't want to pretend that Binance has never done anything that people have found shady. <laughs> because they have. But just in this most recent kind of blow up and, and, and you know, industry moves, it's, it's CZ who looks like he's, I guess, been taking some of the compliance stuff more seriously recently. Yeah, I mean, it seems like those exchanges were doing similar things just in like slightly different ways. I mean, they both had have their own tokens. I mean, Binance has has since come out and tried to clarify like mm-hmm. who exactly made its token and where that token is and and what is you know the situation with that token. But I mean, we, like FTT is at a dollar thirty nine right now. It's it's down ninety eight percent from its all time high, and in the past week, it's down ninety four percent. So. I mean, this event just completely crashed their token, whereas you see um, Binance's token is still in a in a comparatively okay place. I mean, it's it also just raises this whole question as has raised the conversation of why do exchanges have tokens? Why do exchanges need tokens? You know, how how could an exchange have a token responsibly um, so that you know they're not too dependent on that token having consistent value to sort of prop up their company um it's that conversation has has become really important Mm -hmm. in the past week as well and i think it's it's raising a lot of questions for a lot of people yeah coinbase gets to say you know we don't have a token and just another quick you know explainer for for non-experts i mean ftt is called an exchange token it's the token of ftx the crypto exchange binance also has an exchange token bnb and exchange tokens are not by nature you know, evil per se, but it's all about how they're used. And mm-hmm. so um, we have a new Learn article from last week explaining how these work. Uh, Crypto.com also has one called Kronos, C-R-O. Um, so you know, when an exchange has a utility token, it's about how they use it. And obviously, as we now know, FTX was using FTT for everything. It was a house of cards built upon FTT. Uh, one more note on what Stacy alluded to in terms of like the way the media painted CZ, I think. And again, it's not like that's over and wrapped up now and CZ is a hero and thank you, CZ, the god of crypto. I mean, some people yeah. are angry at him for triggering all this. You know, it's his tweet that said, we're going to liquidate all our FTT that, that started the bank run on FTX. I mean, he completely kneecapped his rival. But it is true in hindsight. I mean, we even have a story here from May 2021, which feels like an eternity ago. This was an interview with Brian Brooks, who at the time was the CEO of Binance US. Of course, he soon after that left. Mm -hmm. But he said that people paint Binance as nefarious, and he called it anti-Asian. 
So, you know, we don't need to get too deep in the weeds there, but I, I think you're onto something, Stacey, that, you know, Sam was the American and was making tons of trips back and forth between the Bahamas and D.C. Uh, Kristen Smith of Blockchain Association, one of the biggest, you know, advocate groups, had repeatedly said to me, no one is doing more than Sam to push for and fight for our industry in D.C. He, you know, he takes congressional staffers out to drinks. He has, you know, befriended Maxine Waters, all these politicians. Well, what did it amount to? I mean, if anything, now there's blowback on those politicians and on SEC Chair Gary Gensler for being so cozy with Sam. So it is just a remarkable kind of denouement to that rivalry, especially when you consider the images of both. Yeah, I mean, just... I mean, CZ is still an enigma. I, I don't want to pretend like, and we've said yeah. it a few times on here. I just want to make sure <laughs> we're not saying like he is emerged as like the victorious absolute winner and will always be so. <laughs> well, it's I like don't... GOT, the, the great wheel keeps spinning, right? Yes. Yes. But, you know, I, it's crazy because I think we have to go back and just kind of like re-examine the way we characterize like we're always having to kind of like essentially typecast people just so that yes. we can explain who they are to our audiences and do our work without having hundreds of words of explainer in every article but I think we have to really kind of re-examine the way we do that it's just and I do want to um, clarify real quick the FTT that Binance was going to sell they moved that before CZ said anything about it. It is only because people saw that move and started right. asking him questions that he then said something about it. Started so to initially it, right. he was going to do this without announcing it. Um, and well, and that's why it's likely that the, it was a result funny... of that, yeah, that Alameda balance sheet yeah. that showed just how much exposure yeah, Alameda yeah. had to FTT. Right. And then uh, apparently, I haven't checked it more recently, but you know, after they called off the deal, like they weren't able to sell most of that. They took a hundreds of millions of dollar hit on that because, and CZ made a big, you know, kind of gesture in trying to publicly let everyone know, like I've asked all the Binance employees, please don't trade FTT, you know, don't do anything. We can't look like we're trying to trade on insider knowledge. If this were regular banking, this would be like, you know, don't trade on material non-public information. Like there's there's all these different, you know, rules and regulations in place to make sure that people who work for banks don't find out what the business side of the bank is doing and then trade on that knowledge. There's no such rule in crypto, but obviously it doesn't look good if you do it. So they wound up right, not being un, able to sell what their stuff. crimes were. Right. In other words, I've, I've had some friends ask me that. I don't I don't have the answer. You know, they've said, obviously, it's a shit show. Obviously, he ran the business, you know, completely immorally, unethically. But is it clear that they broke the law? Mm -hmm. What we, I do want to also add in, because we talked a little bit at the top about um, how Binance was an early investor in FTX. Apparently, and this is what I hear from people who are familiar with what's going on internally at Binance, you know, they had disagreements with, between CZ and Sam and kind of just, you know, the way they each ran their companies and that's what preceded Binance wanting to get out of their equity position. So in return for having invested in FTX, they got equity. So then when they want to get out, FTX bought them out using some FTT and I think also um, Binance's stablecoin BUSD or Binance USD. So that's that's why Binance had the FTT sitting on its books in the first place. But just... You know, apparently it's been simmering for a long time that they did not agree at all with the way FTX was doing things and... 
like, and it's easy to say that now after the fact that they've pulled out of the deal and it has, you know, kind of been proven that they weren't doing things um, on the up and up. I also think it's worth mentioning um, Kraken's uh, Jesse Powell, CEO and co-founder. I mean, he announced recently that he was going to be stepping down from CEO, but he made a super long Twitter thread um, last week on Thursday about this whole fiasco, and he sort of indirectly shared some things. He's like red flags, and he shared a list of things that, that he feels are, are red flags, acting like you know everything after showing up to the battle eight years late, nine figures, buying political favor, being overeager to please DC, huge ego purchases like nine-figure sports deals, being a media darling, seeking out puff pieces, virtue signaling, and uh, and FTT. So, I mean that that tweet in his in his lengthy thread was was clearly a reference to Sam Bankman Fried and and FTX. And I mean Kraken was was founded in I think 2011. So he's sort of been around for a lot longer and just sort of watched this I guess from the sidelines and sort of used that this event as, as a way to sort of say like we're more conservative in our approach about um, how we how we handle things and and we're not necessarily putting like profit first we're putting like security first and I think if we ask Gemini I think they would have a similar response to to Powell they would say something similar that that they're more focused on compliance because when I interviewed their COO, he was really focused on regulation and he has a background in, in regulation and they're very compliant, um, you know, being being out of New York primarily. So it's interesting to see some of these like older, smaller exchanges sort of be be fine throughout this and sort of be able to to chime in and say, you know, oh, VCs were just throwing their their money at FTX and and that's how that's how it grew so big so fast because I believe FTX was only really came into the scene in 2019, mm-hmm. um, which is which is a lot, you know, a lot later than than some of the other exchanges. And maybe in some ways the very speed of the growth and valuation is what should have triggered red alarms. I mean, this company reportedly had a $32 billion valuation after like two years. That's crazy. Uh, we should say that even though FTX was pretty new, Sam is, you know, has been in crypto a long time. I mean, the way that he first made his wealth was by exploiting the kimchi premium, as it's called, mm-hmm. uh, which is that you know, Bitcoin often has a, shows as a higher price in South Korea. That was kind of ancient history. But um, he arbitraged on that, made his wealth, started Alameda. Alameda came first. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's mention here, and we're still talking about the rivalry, but the other interesting wrinkle, you know, Sam was pushing for regulation. He was Mr. DC, Mr. Crypto Hero. He also was the guy who bailed out a couple companies after the Terra collapse. So Mr. Bailout suddenly needed a bailout himself. I mean, that's just crazy. We are lucky enough to have had um, Sam on this podcast twice. Can't be sure we'll ever have him on again. Um, and CZ has come on once. And I wanted to share just two comments, uh, quotes from these guys, because it was almost like a call and response, right, Stacey? Mm-hmm. Um, first in July, we, we had CZ on, and we asked him uh, about Alameda basically bailing out Voyager, which was one of the lenders that practically went under because of the terror collapse. Um, here's his quote about that. I know I keep paying, I know I keep pitting you against FTX, but I have to imagine that was at least a reference to you know what just came out about them owing Voyager some money. Uh, so that was surprising even to me, to be honest. I tried not to talk the comment on our competitors, uh, peer industry peers, but 
like I would never do that type. Of, I would never do that type of deal. Uh, I would not. I would never say I would invest in a company and then you loan me some money. I would just not invest in that company. I'll keep my money. But again, nothing to say. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not for me to judge if it's right or wrong, if it's good or bad. Um, it might work for them. It might not. So, uh, but it's just that we don't do those type of deals. So CZ says I would never do that type of deal. And of course, we wrote that up right away. I mean, that was pretty juicy. Basically, CZ very critical of these bailouts that Sam did. And the irony is, a few weeks later, Stacey, we have Sam on, and basically he doubles down on the bailout strategy, and he goes mm-hmm. a step further. He says it's disappointing that other big industry players haven't helped us more. Listen to this audio. You know, the reason that I have been doing it, frankly, is because um, you know, I, it doesn't seem clear to me that there are others who are stepping, you know, stepping up and doing that. Um, and, you know, on all of these, uh, these sort of like bailout, like things that we've tried, we've reached out to everyone we could in the ecosystem and said, hey, you guys interested in like, you know, working with us on this? And, um, you know, in general, uh, no was the answer or rather, yes, followed by, wait, that company looks like there might be a hole in the balance sheet and maybe there is some mismanagement. And we're sort of like, I don't know what you're expecting, dude. Like, you know, this is like you know, why, why do you think they're looking for bailouts? Like, and so, you know, our sense has been that they're really to, to a disappointing extent, haven't been that many people who have actually been game uh, to pitch in here. So Sam, not only defending the bailouts, but complaining, why aren't other players helping us? And of course, again, just like everything else that we look back on now with hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight, incredible, incredible. Yeah. Right. I mean, how better to signal to the rest of the industry who doesn't have intimate knowledge of what your books look like, that you're fine, that everything's fine, that you've not been impacted. How better to do that than by trying to help other people, you know? And I'm not, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that it was premeditated and calculated in that way, that he knew how bad things were for him. I think he really did believe that, as intermingled and inappropriately so all the funds were between FTX and Alameda, I think he, I get the sense that he really believed that he was going to be able to pull it off in such a way that like no one was ever going to know or understand how inappropriately funds were moving back and forth, even though they should have been, they were always painted to be distinct. But man, that really just told the industry like, Hey, we're fine. And we're so good that we're going to help other people. They were trying to help even more companies. I think there was that big headline about them trying to help uh, bail out Celsius, but then they came out with that damning detail made it out from that. And I don't, I think that was from like an unnamed source, but basically saying that, you know, things are so bad there, we're not going to help out. And then of course they find themselves in the same seat later. Yeah. It's, it's also interesting just how um, Sam Bingman Freed was, was sort of saying like, Oh, it's, it's our industry's responsibility. Like if anyone is struggling in this industry, it's like our responsibility to sort of like there, it's like, we all need to see each other as, as like each other's parents or something and sort of like pull each other out of the mud when, when things get dark. And it's, and I think, I think a part of the reason why he was sort of able to say that without being questioned as much was because of this whole effective altruism conversation that, that he's so engaged in and, and was engaged in through Alameda was this whole conversation around this almost like philanthropy. And it's like, that definitely still raises some questions for me. And I think it, it raises, raised a lot of eyebrows for other people, but just this idea like that you would throw, you know, 70 million 
at a company and say, oh yeah, we don't really expect to see this again. It's like, is that effective altruism? Is that altruistic or is that is there something else going on here? I mean, I think there's a, a lot of um, potentially better ways to to use 70 million, especially you know in in or out of crypto. But that's just uh, you know one one take on this. Yeah, a lot of uh, contagion, and I think it only goes so far to say, well, now the industry will learn its lesson. It's like, well, why didn't it learn its lesson before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we should mention a number of firms have come out basically to quickly say what their exposure was. If they're able to say we had no exposure, a delight, right? But there's many who have had to say, yep, you know, we had direct exposure, and here's how we're doing it, and don't worry. But it's there's more to come in terms of the damage and the blowback and the ripple effects. That is for sure. Um, I want to sort of give the the 60 foot view on what people should take away from all this. You know, we've talked about the rivalry, the irony here, the narratives. I mean, just stunning, right? Um, It's definitely the end of FTX, all those sports and sponsorship things. The name is going to go away. But for onlookers, and just as a quick anecdote, again, like I don't blame these people, but as a quick anecdote, two or three different people in my life in the last week, and of course, the news fits the view you already hold. So these are people who already kind of thought crypto Mm -hmm. has always seemed stupid and scammy to them. Fine. And I don't try to waste time convincing them. But they've texted me or in person said to me, like, how can you say to anyone that this stuff is real or should continue to exist when this happens? And again, there's only so many times that you can say, well, this was just one company. You know, the fact that this one company was a bad actor doesn't reflect on the entire industry. And that is what I believe. But again, it, it, it ain't good. You know, it is not a good look. But what would you guys say to uh, people outside of crypto who just look at this and shake their head? And, and of course, as we also know, it gives regulators and politicians another chance to say, we've got to regulate this industry. We've got to be more strict. We've got to create safeguards. But to be clear, like crypto's not going to collapse as an industry tomorrow. I mean, at the yeah. that's table stakes. Like it's not like, Oh, FTX went down and now crypto's dead, which is what a lot of people say when they see these headlines. But what would you guys say that people should understand from all this? I mean, for, firstly, I think it's interesting how crypto has has been perceived in the public eye. I mean, obviously, the technology did not cause this to happen. You know, people caused this to happen, and I realize that's maybe a controversial thing to say. Um, but we we see a lot of bad actors in the gaming industry, like video games. I mean. Um, and we see we see you know tech companies doing things that that people find questionable and and we don't necessarily like throw out all of the technology just because of some bad people that might mean that it's time for some regulation um, but but crypto is such a unique um, challenge as an industry because a lot of people the way that it's been marketed to them they they don't understand the risks and they're sort of like oh up only up only and and I think that's different from marketing a video game or an iPhone or, you know, other different types of tech- technology-based products. I mean, crypto is is all about technology. However, there's also become this element of financial risk. Um, there, There's a lot of different sort of dreams that people are being sold here through marketing. And so I think a lot of people are 
are feeling um, burned and like they've lost trust because they had certain expectations going in and, and they didn't realize um, necessarily maybe the risks that, that they were taking. I mean, that's just my two cents on, on the industry and how it's been perceived and, and sort of misperceived and, and maybe what's, what's to come. I mean, I think, and people have been saying this since last week, like it, or even earlier this year, and there are some DGENs that have been saying it the whole time, don't keep your money on exchanges. <laughs> like, if, if it's your funds, keep it in your wallet. And, and you know, a lot of people would even go a step further and say, don't keep it in a hot wallet, which is to say, don't keep it in a software wallet, something that's just, you know, living within your browser or whatever. Like, keep it in cold storage. And I think because, like, there's a little bit of a knowledge gap, like, there's a little bit of, like, a, a steep learning curve in just figuring out, okay, what what is a cold wallet? Like, it essentially More than like, a little, I think. Yeah, it just, it looks like a little device. That's not what this is. Or is this? I think this actually is also a cold wallet. But it's also, I think, a charger. The point is, like... I don't know. Just I think people got really comfortable letting their money sit places where they didn't have control over it, where technically someone else besides them, a company, had control over it. And I don't want to blame everyone who had – I'm not blaming everyone who had money on FTX for having it there. But I think people got really comfortable leaving their money somewhere where technically there was some risk. Like it's a little bit like leaving your keys sitting in your car in the driveway. Like probably no one's going to come and take your car, but they could and the keys are in there. So it's possible. The other thing, and this kind of gets back at some of the the regulatory stuff. I'm already seeing um, some lawmakers come out and say, oh, well, you know, the industry has been delaying us from passing meaningful regulation. And there's really this blame game going on because it's and both things are true. It seems that lawmakers have been very reluctant and slow to pass any kind of regulation, but we're also seeing that the industry is trying to make sure that, like, you know, the first draft of this or the first few major bills that kind of get out here and set up a framework aren't bad and don't, like, kind of codify these huge misunderstandings about the industry. Because that's, that's what we've seen a lot. Like, there was that whole big thing last year where you know, the the big bipartisan spending bill was going to go through and basically categorize everyone all the way down to individual developers and, like, people who run mining miners as, like, brokers. And now you're going to have to, you know, collect all this information from everyone who interacts with you. And, like, I think we can all agree that was a huge overstatement of, you know, how much those people should be involved and what their responsibility is. But I think the regulatory stuff is going to probably unfortunately swing such that like it's going to be really strict for a while and i i don't think a lot of lawmakers are going to be taking as many calls as they used to from the crypto industry because that's just not going to be good for their image like if they're taking calls and they're doing you know sit downs and stuff like that so it's it's going to be interesting but like unfortunately i think it's just a growing pain like i, I think this is just something that's going to have to happen for the the industry to start to mature hundred percent. I agree with a lot of that. One thing I'd push back on when you say, you know, the lesson is don't store your crypto on exchanges. For a lot of regular non-tech savvy folks, that's just too hard. Yeah. And that's why I think Coinbase has had a lot of success. It has, you know, and Coinbase has its own flaws and things that people have criticized it for. But regardless of anything else, or if nothing else, the company has successfully established itself as the closest thing to a trusted name in the U.S., and I suspect that even after this, for a lot of people, if they believe they want to own some crypto, they probably will trust Coinbase, and that's good enough for them. 
mm-hmm. you know, because when you say to someone, here, just use this you know, hardware wallet and store your keys on a piece of paper and just don't lose the piece of paper. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I yeah. mean, ever since the very beginning of crypto, that's been a hard sell. I mean, it's that like, introduces well, it's its digital money. Risk, yeah. yeah. Isn't there some guy yeah. who's been trying to excavate a, a yes. landfill? Like landfill, he, yes. yeah. 100%. <laughs> so I that, mean, that on, has its own problems. Yeah, it's hard to say to someone you're trying to convince, like, this is the future, this is digital money, but write your password on a piece of paper and never lose it. Yes, you here's know? this thumb so, drive size thing that will store all of your money. No. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I don't think this is the end of exchanges hmm. as, a, as a thing, but it's certainly the end of FTX. Um, one last thing I'd say, and the, the jury's still out on this, but this is going to be interesting when, when things kind of play out. I don't think that Sam Bankman-Fried was consciously like a criminal, like an evil, poorly intentioned person who knew that he was a con man. You know, and of course, everyone is dunking on past things he said, including me. It's fun. We're tweeting out the memes. But I think he is a really young kid, inexperienced as a business operator, who got extremely rich extremely quickly because of his savvy with the crypto markets and got in way over his head and flew too close to the sun, also developed quite an ego. But that's different from, you know, the crypto industry has seen a number of scammers who very much knew what they were doing. You know, consciously in their soul and in their brain and in their heart, they knew, ha ha ha, I'm scamming everyone. I do not think that that is what Sam was doing consciously. That's my take. I'm not in any way excusing or exonerating him. But I don't think that he was a ha-ha-ha laughing all the way to the bank and now catch me if you can. I'm on my plane to hide out from the law criminal. Maybe some disagree. But Mm -hmm. I think the jury's out. I think it was some degree of affluenza. Just, you know, he he comes from a very privileged background. And I don't think he thought this was ever going to blow up in his face the way it did. He should have. It's really easy for all of us outside saying that, you know, he should have known. And and I think it's true he should have. But I don't think things were ever, I don't think he ever really had to face many consequences for this kind of stuff. I mean, he made all his money trading. He was really way comfortable with risk, so much so that he risks everyone's money. Crypto is is also just such a a cult of personalities in a way. There's so many big personalities and the quirkier and and dorkier and weirder you are, it's like the better and like the more people want to write about you and figure out what makes you tick and you know, so I think a lot of things that were sort of like just about Sam that maybe, you know, some people will consider perhaps like not very responsible such as playing League of Legends during your business calls. Um, you know, people in crypto are just like, oh, that's so quirky. And wow, he must be so smart that he can do two things at the same time. You know, I think people sort of go into these things believing what they want to believe. You know, I think a lot of that happened with with Do Kwan as well. He was a, another figure that people just sort of uh, saw him as this like godly figure. And um, I think we have a, definitely a, a cult of personality in this space. And and for better or worse, that has has led to a lot of people sort of overlooking a lot of things or, or maybe not questioning things as, as much as they could have. Absolutely. It's, it's very true. It's, uh, I remember going to the FTX conference in the Bahamas and the hero worship, you know, when Sam came out on stage and the fanboying and Tom Brady and Giselle on stage with him. Uh, that was the peak, <laughs> but mm-hmm. 
But uh, it's, a great, it's a great place to end, Kate, that comment about the cult of personality. I think in many ways um, we're all a little bit to blame, but FTX is to blame most of all. Uh, there's so much more there, so much more to talk about. We will keep monitoring. You guys and all the staff at Decrypt have been all over every inch of this story, and the story is not done, but that's a great place to wrap. So great stuff. Stacey Elliott and Kate Irwin. GM is a Decrypt podcast co-hosted by me, Dan Roberts, Stacey Elliott, Stephen Graves, Kate Irwin, and Andrew Hayward, and produced by Zach Edelman. Make sure you check our website, decrypt.co, whenever a new episode comes out for the video version, and subscribe to GM wherever you podcast. GM from Decrypt. Decrypt.